0: You're listening to The Domecast, where news and observer journalists take a look back and forward in North Carolina politics. Hello, welcome to The Last Domecast, brought to you from 215 South McDowell Street, where the NO has had its home since 1956 and uh, on a site which has been home to the NNO since 1907. Uh, this is Jordan Schrader hosting this week, and with me are Andy Spey, Lauren Horsch, and Colin Campbell. Uh, we are moving out of our building, and uh, in fact, we'll be lucky if they don't take the table and chairs out from under us as we're recording this, because it's about 5 o'clock on moving day, uh, and uh, we've uh, delayed taping this because we've, been, we've all been celebrating. Uh, and that may or may not involve some champagne, uh, the winner of Headliner of the Week uh, will this week get a uh, a shot of uh, something. I'm not it's, sure it's what old is that. Crow. It's
1: old, old, crow. old crow. Old crow, which w- has
2: apparently been sitting in the newsroom for 10 years, <laughs> thanks to some uh, former employee named Jim Jim Nesbitt. Yeah, thanks, Jim.
1: Former Wake County editor um, and cowboy extraordinaire of the uh, newsroom back in the day. I think I might be the only one of this group who was here for that cowboy. Yeah, he would, he would. He had like a cowboy hat. He had a, like a picture on his desk of him riding a horse. He was he was quite the uh, old school newspaper guy. Well, uh, a
0: lot of us, although most of us have not been here that long, I've only been here about two years. Uh, the a lot of people have very fond memories. Some people have spent their whole career in this building, so there's a lot of nostalgia today. Uh, Colin, you've been here the longest of the four of us, I think. What any any fond memories uh, from you?
1: You know. Um, I worked in a different office most of the time my first couple years here, Um, but generally speaking, I mean, this building has probably memories of uh, breathing bad air and, you know, not being at a comfortable temperature most of the time, but some good journalism has been
0: done in this building. Not having any natural light, yeah.
1: Yeah, there are a lot of elements of it I won't miss, but, uh, you know, you you feel like you have got the ghost of all the coworkers that have moved on to other things uh, hanging around you.
0: It is a, a great location, though, and uh, downtown, and luckily we're not moving far away. We're going down to One City Plaza
1: down on Fayetteville Street. Uh, it's possible the Domecast Room may have uh, street front views, so you might be able to, like, watch us through the glass and make faces at us when we record this. Oh, the future, it'd be like so the, the Today Show, yeah. yeah.
0: Domecast <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll expect you to come with your sign saying, you know, you know Lauren, Andy, we love you, um, you know, that kind of stuff um any other fond memories lauren andy uh. i've got
3: one i've got two actually okay. i should first mention that i met my wife here um i guess it was 2015 she was a fellow she worked on the politics desk and then worked with the i team and the first time i met her and asked her out she told me that uh she does not date coworkers, which is funny in retrospect um, and then the second memory I have is when... Taylor, uh, also a, uh, a guest of Domecast in the past. That's right. She might have won more Headliners of the Week than me. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, the second memory I have is when... I think I had to work a Sunday shift or I went to church downtown. It, it, it doesn't matter. I went by the O office one Sunday morning and saw papers strewn across the lawn and windows broken and people gathered around wondering... Who got mad at the NNO and why? And the list in all of our heads was pretty long of the, num- the people who could have done such a thing as to trash our office. Uh, turned out it was just some drunk person who claims to, have not, to not have known what they were doing. They did not have a vendetta against our paper. Uh, but interesting nonetheless and scary at the time uh, made us think a little bit more about our uh, security here. Uh, and I think after that is when we got a security guard full we had someone full-time so that was fun and exciting when everything was still a mystery you never know if it's just a fan that wanted to come (laughs) hurt the building or an ex-employee of which there are many anyway those are my two memories
2: Uh, I don't have many memories because I've maybe been here a year and a half but I I think everyone sitting in this room recording this podcast has heard the story but The one really funny memory I have is, one day I got locked out of the Insider Office when we were near the newsroom. So I found an empty conference room, didn't think much of it, figured no one would come and find me. And I had brought a lunch with me that I'd gotten from the Daily Planet, which is like a usual spot a lot of us at the legislature hit up. So I got what was like, it called like a Carolina Cuban or something like that. And um, I had kicked off my shoes because it was raining and I was wearing flats and so my shoes were wet. And so I was eating this sandwich barefoot in a conference room when the former executive editor, John Drescher, walks in, just looks at me, and he goes, what are you doing? And I was like, "Uh, I'm locked out of my office. And so he let me into my office, and that's really been the only memory I have of this building. (laughs) So, so, yes, I was once barefoot eating a Cuban when I was found by an editor just (laughs) hiding out in a conference room.
0: Well, this place is is um uh,
1: gross, let's say, and uh uh you should see the basement that we just came from a little exploration tour where the presses used to be. Newsroom ain't got nothing on that <laughs> <laughs> what well give it give us a flavor oh yeah, so there's a uh, You've heard the phrase ink stained in in reference to reporters and, and our business in general. Everything is ink stained, probably decades worth of ink stains. And there's, you know, abandoned furniture around and handprints on the walls. It's a lovely place. I probably took years off my life just being there for a few minutes.
2: It looks like a murder scene.
1: If, yeah if you look at my Twitter or Instagram or really anyone who works here's uh, pictures of it you can definitely see that we missed an opportunity by not selling this building to a horror movie producer yeah
0: I was gonna say the film saw I think this oh, film so uh, down here <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and there's always a lot of strange smells in this building but one of my favorite memories uh, is when all of a sudden the newsroom smelled like gasoline and uh, it turned out that it was uh, the managing editor uh, Dan Barkin who had come in and had just stopped at a gas station and had spilled uh, gas all over him himself, and uh, we uh, we all ordered him to go home promptly and change his clothes. Andy tried I to set like, his pants on fire, but he uh, didn't succeed. I feel like I can tell that story now because Dan is on his way out. Next week is is his last week, and uh, so most of my fond memories of of two fifteen South McDowell Street revolve around uh, Dan Barkin, uh, who's a uh, one of the classic characters of the business. Um, So uh, it's sort of appropriate that uh, we're leaving at the same time that he's saying goodbye and retiring. Um, I guess that's about it about the building, which most of the listeners could care less about. Um,
1: If you're skipping ahead in the podcast, (laughs) this is
0: where you stop because we'll actually start talking about politics. Yes, yes. Um, So one thing we should talk about this week is uh, Hurricane Matthew relief um, on a much more serious note. Um, So we're, um, Governor Cooper is getting some criticism over some of the money that has gone unspent in Hurricane Matthew relief. And um, in particular, uh, a news report out of Charlotte that a pot of money, uh, a couple hundred million dollars, has not yet had any money spent out of it. And this uh, money is for housing. And um, former Governor Pat McCrory. Uh, was very critical this week of Cooper, his predecessor, um, over this unspent money. So, Colin, uh, what did McCrory have to say?
1: Yeah, you know, this is interesting, obviously, because uh, McCrory has not ruled out a run against Cooper in 2020. Um, so we're in this interesting position of we had a hurricane in 2016, and it's perhaps becoming a partisan campaign issue in 2018 as a result of some of these news reports and some of the criticism from Republicans. First, we heard from the Republicans in the legislature, Legislature who were uh, very concerned in grilling an official from the Emergency Management Division about why this money hasn't been spent. Their argument is um, look, we've got. a process we've got to set up there's a lot of red tape we have to cut through so we're taking applications we're vetting them in the next couple months we should have this money out on the ground actually helping people rebuild their houses but uh, since we got it last year um, not any of that has been spent they have spent money from other sources uh, and i think they said about half a billion dollars total have been spent from other pots of money related to uh hurricane relief but anyway McCrory's out this week he um reached out over the weekend and indicated through a spokesperson that he wanted to uh, uh, chat with me for a bit so i gave him a call on monday uh and he gave me an earful about his thoughts on uh cooper's handling of this mccrory of course was governor um right as hurricane matthew hit stopped being governor about two months afterwards after he lost the election um And so he's saying he doesn't think the Cooper administration has done enough, that Cooper has sort of uh, delegated this to his uh, underlings and hasn't done a good job of sort of keeping the focus on getting this money out fast, getting these people back in their homes. Uh, He told me he's willing to help if uh, Cooper wants him to convene a group of former governors um, who have experience with uh, disaster relief work to come together and try to advise the administration. He was particularly critical of the lack of there being a – uh, Any more a hurricane czar? Originally, uh, Cooper had hired Dempsey Benton, a former DHHS secretary, uh, to sort of be his special advisor and point man on hurricane relief. Benton, it turns out, left in February, which, according to the Cooper administration, is uh, when they uh, actually after they intended for him to leave. That he was just supposed to help kickstart things because apparently there was a problem. Uh, and this is where the Cooper administration is throwing the blame back on McCrory and the legislature that. Responsible for this money had transitioned between the Department of Commerce and the Department of Emergency Management, um, and emergency management had to set up a whole process, and that slowed things down. That was in a, the disaster relief bill. Uh, McCrory signed into law in late 2016, right before leaving office. I asked him about it. He said he couldn't recall that provision or why it was in there, so it's a mystery why that change happened, but the Cooper people are uh, citing that as a reason that it's not in they're. Is not their fault uh, that it happened, and they're uh, they're fighting back at McCrory a little bit. The statement uh, we got from them had a little fire in it. It uh, said that uh, uh, you know disaster relief is a long-term effort, and that uh, that's something that apparently, in, in their words, McCrory would not understand in his current role as a regional talk radio host. Which uh, you know, I, sort of zero in the word regional, and it, you can tell they're going for a burn there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes. And and Macquarie has in his post uh, gubernatorial life um gotten into this uh, uh new job of a of a talk show host and is he
1: uh on every day? Yeah, I think he's on but uh, for about an hour uh every weekday morning on this station WBT, which is the big AM radio station in Charlotte. Um but only airs on that station. I don't I don't think he's syndicated hence the use of the word uh regional and he goes on with the co-hosts and they they talk about any news of the day from national politics to charlotte politics to state politics um i think if mccrory does run for governor in 2020 there's probably some democratic party oppo researchers that are archiving hours upon hours of tape of this show in the hopes that he says something they can use against him uh he was very or at least uh, reading the quotes written down he sounded
0: emotional about hurricane matthew yeah relief. he told me
1: he um I, I guess in going from charlotte to wilmington for meetings or whatever he's got to do he's uh, taken the exit to fair bluff which is one of the hardest hit towns and said he's it's just made him want to cry the lack of progress uh in fair bluff
0: you've been down to, to eastern north carolina in the last couple of months um you know, what, what are the st- what's the state of things in the places that you've visited? Is it still uh, essentially um, unchanged?
1: What? Um, it depends on the place. Uh, so when I went to Seven Springs, which is this tiny town of about 100, 200 people in uh, Wayne County right along the News River that flooded, um, their downtown is... Maybe about half back to the way it was beforehand. When I talked to the town officials there, she said that um, about half the residents have returned. Half are still waiting on FEMA money, trying to figure out whether they're going to return, are they going to rebuild, are they going to elevate their houses, are they just going to sell it out and uh, have the land be undeveloped? Um, and that should happen within the next uh, towards the end of the year. Uh, other areas have recovered a little bit faster. Um, I drove through. Uh, the part of K- the business district in Kinston that was flooded along u s seventy uh, with recently, and you really can 't tell along that district that the um, storm has even happened uh, there 's a couple of uh, motels that didn 't reopen, but for the most part uh, new sports shop, which is that sort of big uh, sporting goods store that everyone passes on their way to the beach uh, apparently was only closed for a couple of weeks um, and because they know that they're in a flood zone uh, they have procedures in place to move all their merchandise out uh, before the floodwaters hit so they were able and I think some of their neighbors were able to get back on their feet pretty quickly um, of course the challenges for people who uh, were homeowners or renters uh, trying to find uh, where they're going to go in some of these towns where there's just not a lot of places that were not affected. Um, Well, another area
0: where um, Cooper has um, taken some uh, criticism over the time he's been governor is uh, on the replacement for HB2, um, some criticism from the left. And um, this week we had a development, Andy, on, uh, on that front, um, not so much about Cooper, um, but about Democratic legislators. Um, the group Equality NC, which advocates for LGBT rights, is saying they're not going to endorse um, some Democratic legislative candidates.
3: They said they won't endorse anyone who voted for uh, the HB2 repeal bill, which they said didn't go far enough, if you'll remember, if our audience will remember. Uh, It it repealed HB2 and didn't have any restrictions in place as far as bathrooms go and which ones people can use, but it prevented North Carolina towns and cities and counties from implementing any anti-discrimination policies, among other um, somewhat unrelated things. And so uh, Equality in C is the biggest, I would say, uh, rights group in North Carolina, LGBTQ rights group. They come out with endorsements, and some people uh, care deeply about that endorsement. I I would say that when they came out last year in the Raleigh mayor's race supporting the unaffiliated mayor over the Democratic challenger, his name is Charles Francis, the mayor being Nancy McFarlane, that probably swung a few voters. Um, So in this case, I don't know uh, whether it'll make a huge difference. They didn't single out uh, legislators by name, but they do have a list of people they're endorsing in the primary, and on that list are three people who are challenging Democratic incumbents. Uh, I can't remember the names of all the challengers, but I remember that Equality NC is supporting the challenger, Allison Dahl, against uh, Dwayne Hall. They're supporting, uh, I'm gonna butcher his name, I forget, the the man who's uh, challenging Joel Ford um, and then they're, ch- they're supporting supporting—I the person who is, I think it's Prince Christian is the name, who's uh, opposing Elmer Floyd. And so in those three cases, I don't know if this means they'll put money behind the challengers or if they'll just allow them to put their
0: Equality NC logo on their mailers or what. Uh, but that's we'll where start they are seeing some, uh, some of the money uh, flow in uh, in campaign reports that are coming up uh, in just a few days here.
3: Mm-hmm. And if nothing else, you know, this, again, reminds not only North Carolinians but uh, onlookers from outside the state that HB2 isn't – I mean, it's gone, but there's still work to be done in terms of uh, protecting the rights of LGBTQ citizens.
0: Yeah. And uh, you know you've done a fact check about uh, HB two being gone and and essentially they re- they replaced it but like you said uh, still some objections to uh, uh, to what they have replaced it with. Um, Lauren, what did Equality, who did Equality NC re- endorse in 2016 or how many people did they endorse in 2016?
2: There were they endorsed 15 people in 2016 and I don't have the full list but I do remember that. You know some of them were first-time candidates running for the General Assembly and that included you know Cynthia Ball from who's a Democrat from Wake County who she did vote for the HB 142 which is called you know the HB 2 repeal so she is one incumbent that will not be getting an endorsement and then there was also uh, Representative Egger from Buncombe County so he wasn't a new he was incumbent at that point but he will be losing that endorsement so there's I want to say about not all 15 of those people actually got elected. So of those, there's probably about a handful to maybe 10 that will not be receiving the endorsement of Equality NC. Okay.
3: And We should point out that we're talking a lot about the primaries now, but in November, every legislator is up for election. Okay. There are big names that won't be getting Equality NC's endorsement like uh, minority leaders, Darren Jackson in the House, and Dan Blue in the Senate.
0: And of course, they uh, have pretty democratic districts, and it can't. Wouldn't expect Equality and C to um, put any money behind their Republican opponents, of course, but um, if they even have them. But uh, uh, there might be some races where this could be critical, and and having less money and potentially um, less uh, excited. Democrats could be pretty critical in the general election.
2: Well you brought one thing up there They're less likely to endorse Republicans, but I do want to say that they are endorsing one Republican that is pretty notable And it is Beth Monahan, who is running against Dan Bishop um, in the Senate I forget what Senate district he is, but he is the chief uh, Sponsor and bill writer of the original House bill 2 and she has gone on the record saying that you know She's running against uh, Dan Bishop in the Republican primary because she disagrees with HB2 and she wants to give other people a choice. So that is pretty, I I think, pretty new for Equality NC to go out on a limb and, you know, endorse someone on the Republican ticket. So I thought that was really an interesting part of saying, you know, we're not endorsing incumbents, but here's a choice for Republicans who might look to Equality NC as a Good advocacy organization
0: you guys mentioned that they are endorsing dwayne hall's opponent allison Dahl, and of course dwayne hall has been uh accused of sexual misconduct um and his opponent is uh is using that is uh, um hitting him about the sexual misconduct claims but he is Um, spending quite a lot of money, sending out mailers, um, doing everything except appearing in public, I guess.
1: Yeah, he's uh, been invited and was listed as coming to a couple of candidate forums and then never ended up showing up. Uh, I think there was one uh, just this week that people thought he was going to show up at and he didn't come. Uh, We've had a few people who said they've seen him going door-to-door in neighborhoods in the district, Um, a bunch of mailers, which, of course, Andy has written about the uh, fact-check side of, uh, of his mailers and the endorsement he claims that he has definitely not gotten – we did get his uh, campaign finance reports this week, which were interesting, uh, on a couple of levels. Uh, One, his fundraising went down dramatically, I guess not all that surprising, after the allegations surfaced. It only had a couple major donations, uh, notably from – Linda Edmiston, who is the wife of the former N.C. Secretary of the State Rufus Edmiston, uh, as well as a large donation—I think the maximum donation—from Julia Daniels, who is the wife of former uh, News & Observer publisher Frank Daniels, before uh, the company uh, stopped being uh, owned uh, by a family here in, in Raleigh. Um, and then the other notable thing was he paid, he had. Made some headlines, I guess, towards the end of last year when he loaned his campaign $100,000, which sort of fueled speculation to the time that he was going to run for lieutenant governor, which he was uh, not doing a whole lot to quash that. I think he seemed to enjoy that he was uh, rumored candidate for that. Um, he paid that back fairly quickly, it looks like actually before the allegations surfaced, um, so he no longer owes his campaign any money. Um, and also was refunded by the North Carolina House uh, Democratic Caucus. He had a $10,000 dues payment, and uh, Darren Jackson said he had decided to refund him the payment because uh, Jackson uh, had called on Hall to resign and felt like he, I guess, couldn't take his money in that case. Uh, so those were sort of the interesting elements in his uh, campaign finance reports that we saw.
3: On that note, can I jump in and say, well, we, I don't think we don't cast I was going to say, yeah,
0: yeah we, didn't we, haven't we haven't talked deed. about misusing the D. Uh, th- that's right. <laughs>
3: that, many of our listeners probably live in Raleigh, and some of them probably got mailers from Dwayne Hall, and some of those have a blue D uh, surrounded by a circle, and it looks like the logo for the Democratic National Committee, which and it says endorsed by, and then has this logo. That gives the impression that he's endorsed by the Democratic Party, perhaps at the national level. It it doesn't really say, uh, you know, who he's endorsed by. It just has this logo. Well, uh, we wrote a fact check this week that that explains he's not endorsed by the DNC. He's not endorsed by the state party. He's not endorsed by the local party. Kind of the opposite, actually. In fact, each one has, I think, well, not each one but the state party and the governor cooper have all called on him to resign and then when we when we reached out to the dnc uh, tom perez was actually here a couple weeks ago we reached out to his people and said hey has the dnc endorsed Dwayne hall he's using your logo they said no in fact they're concerned about it and they joined in a they said in a statement they joined the state party and governor cooper in calling on hall to resign so if you're receiving these mailers that make it seem like Uh, Dwayne Hall is endorsed by the Democratic Party. Uh, He is not.
0: All right. Um, And uh, along a similar theme, Lauren, uh, the legislators, including uh, presumably Dwayne Hall, um, are getting some sexual harassment training, and um, this is going to cost the legislature $12,000. So what are they getting for that money?
2: So it's it's twofold. So the lawmakers are actually going to be watching a 90-minute video, which is provided by the National Conference of State Legislatures. And I'm not sure how many lawmakers have watched that because um, Legislative Services Officer uh, Paul Koble, who essentially runs the day-to-day goings-on at the General Assembly, didn't have those numbers when I talked to him last week and wasn't sure if he'd be able to give them to me. In fact, he told me to contact every lawmaker. So I might have to email 170 people later. But um, I do know there are a couple who have straight out tweeted at me and said, you know, here's my certificate. I completed the video. Uh, so I don't know how much that video cost because um, that's actually even on YouTube, people have you know sent me the link to watch it. I've watched it. You know, it's it's a usual thing you'd get from an HR company, basically. Uh, but that twelve thousand dollars you mentioned um, actually goes for the mandatory training that all General Assembly staff members had to take, and so they had sessions that they had to take you know, on-site at the General Assembly, so they went in, sat with co-workers, I think it was maximum group of 40, um, and they got a packet from Capital Industries, Capital Associates Industries, um, or Incorporated, and that kind of just walked them through the process of what is harassment, you know, what isn't harassment, Um, because it wasn't just sexual harassment, it was workplace harassment, so that could be any harassment about, uh, you know, your ethnicity, your race, your religion, your gender, your age, that sort of thing. So it was all workplace harassment. Um, But they really kind of laid it out as, you know, this is what verbal harassment is, this is, you know, what it could be, you know, and then they went through exercises of, you know, is this harassment, is that harassment, et cetera. Um, And from my understanding, a lot of the employees thought it was very helpful. um, And it, you know, will eventually translate into a new policy for the General Assembly. They are working on writing their own... Workplace harassment and sexual harassment guidelines, um, and they 're actually working on bringing that into regular training because every other year staff members have ethics training where they have to go in and have a refresher on you know what is and isn 't ethical as you know a lawmaker or as a lawmaker 's staff person their assistant um, so since that 's every other year, that year where they don 't have ethics training might turn into the year you have your workplace harassment refresher, so they 're still working on everything in CObol you know he's working on it too, but he wanted to make sure that this training got done really quickly, so that's why he brought in the consultant and paid about $12,000.
0: Do you know if the lawmakers themselves have to go through ethics training, or if it's yes, just this, they do? Yes, they do. Okay. So
2: lawmakers do have ethics training. I don't remember the timeline for that, but I know they get it um, as soon as they're elected.
0: Yeah, and that's so that's kind of interesting. And it's my mistake to say that it was the lawmakers who uh, they're spending that money on. Um, did you say you, we don't know for sure how much they're spending? I guess on to on the buy video. the video. Yeah, and yeah. that could
2: have just been again that could have just been a video everyone had to watch on YouTube because I've watched on YouTube because they have it on YouTube. I know, mm-hmm. uh, so I don't know. So you, you know, may not if that have was to spend just very much on that. Yeah, so, so I don't know if that was just something the uh, National Conference of State Legislators provided for free. Or not and that's something we can look into but yeah the, they're, they're making strides and the lawmakers who have watched the video said that it was very informative and they thought it was a good use of their time. So but I don't know about all of the lawmakers.
0: Well one other thing before um, we go to headliner of the week um, and that is um, along the same lines of uh, campaign uh, communications Joel Ford uh, has been sending out some mailers that have raised some eyebrows. Um, he sent out um, one campaign mailer and um, one letter to new people in his district um, and both uh, had some questions uh, raised about them, so Lauren, what's uh, what's going on with those?
2: Uh, I'll start with the letter that came from his legislative office. So if you, if you don't know about these, they're called new voter letters. Each lawmaker is allowed to send letters to people who have newly registered in their district. Um, and these letters are essentially there to show Think, to say you know, thank you for registering to vote. I'm your representative in the state house or the state senate. Here's how you get in contact with me. If you have any questions, please let me know. I am here to serve you. So they're very short and simple, and lawmakers are allowed to send these out you know for quite a long time until 60 days before the election. So the cutoff for the primary election was before March 9th. March 9th, I do believe, is like the last day that was the cutoff.
0: And they use taxpayer money to yes, send these so, out. Yes. So and this is
2: sent from your official like. Everyone has their own stationery. So like if I was a lawmaker, I would say, you know, like Senator Lauren Horsch, blah, blah district, that sort of thing. So you use that, you put it in on your official stationery, in your official envelope, and then you send it out through the General Assembly, which pays for the postage. Um, So the cutoff was March 9th, but I know of at least one letter that was dated for March 5th, which is outside of that 60-day window, but it was postmarked for March 12th. So that means the letter could have been written on March 5th, but not sent until March 12th. So there's this kind of ethical gray area. Did he send that, you know, is it because it's dated, you know, outside of that 60-day window? Or is it because it was postmarked within the, you know, 60-day window? And again, they're not going to say if it's an ethical uh, dilemma or not because someone would have to complain to the Legislative Ethics Commission. And those complaints... public record so even if someone has complained i don't know about that um and senator ford who's a democrat from charlotte didn't actually know that these letters were being sent out and i don't know how many were sent out i was just provided one and you know when i called him yesterday he was like this is new news to me thank you for bringing it up i don't know why these are being sent out um because it is a big deal just talking with my sources around the building it's you know they're told you know this is the last day you can send it you know this is the only things you could say so the the legislative assistants i talked to you know they were very clear on the fact that they knew when they could stop so it was kind of just interesting to see how that plays out um, on a staff level um and also that 60-day window i should say is for anyone running in a contested primary um so i mean there it could be a little bit different if he wasn't but he does have a challenger um so that plays into it but there is a second Campaign mailer. So these are two different things. One is, you know, because he's already a sitting senator, and this one is because he's running for reelection. Uh, so he had sent out a letter explaining, you know, absentee mail in ballots. And pe- so it was to people who had formally or in the past voted by mail in ballot. Uh, so he sent them in and, you know, gave them the application to apply for the mail in ballot Um, and included a return envelope for the board of elections to mail in that application which is above board he can totally do but on that same mailer the return address for his campaign was listed as the the mecklenburg board of elections which is not above board Um, and so you know the the, um, the mecklenburg county board of elections didn't know about this until actually a resident brought this to them and said you know i got this mailer it has your address on it but it's from joel ford's campaign um and you know he didn't know how that mix-up happened but he's taking you know complete responsibility for it um and he's calling everyone who got those mailers to explain the confusion um but the mecklenburg county board of elections you know really wants to reiterate that they don't endorse candidates they This is not something they're supposed to do. They do not and will not endorse. That's not what they do. They're just here to get the information out about proper voting. Um, So there's just a lot going on in Charlotte. Um, That's a very uh, contentious race. I get a lot of calls about it all the time. So it's just, there's a lot going on there.
0: Yeah. Um, Okay. Well, I think we'll take a break and come back with Headliner of the Week. Stay with us.
3: Melissa from Michigan. I work an extra part-time job serving lunch at my child's school, but I still can't afford to put food on our table.
1: Daniel from California. Choosing whether to pay the rent or pay to fix the car to get to work doesn't leave us with much at all. Now we can't even pay for meals. Hunger is a story we can end.
0: End it at feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Headliner of the week. 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 Who's hot? We're back with Headliner of the Week. And remember, whoever wins Headliner this week gets the shot of of whiskey that's sitting in the middle of the table here. So very exciting. We don't have any... Uh, water in this building anymore so um other than what lauren has in her in her thermos here so uh we're all looking at it in a very thirsty uh, way here but truly uh, old
1: school journalism in the last <laughs> days of the O
0: <laughs> so it's here in a in the world's tiniest red solo cup sitting in the middle of the table um So uh, let's start with Colin Campbell. Who's your headliner of the week?
1: I'm going with someone that I had not heard of up until about this week, um, and it's a transgender inmate in the North Carolina prison system who is serving time at the notorious Lanesboro Correctional Institution, which is one of the ones where uh, they've had some uh, fights break out and some uh, prison officers have been uh, injured. It's sort of a poster child for the problem prison uh, system that we have in the state right now. Uh, but uh, that's, this story has nothing to do with that. Uh, Jennifer Jazmaine, uh, the transgender inmate, um, is suing because uh, she believes that the North Carolina prison system is blocking the practice of her spiritual beliefs, which happen to be uh, the Wiccan spiritual beliefs rooted in witchcraft. Um, and she's saying she's not being treated uh, like other people who have uh, particular religious needs uh, in prison um, and that they're not handling the diet and uh, – Uh, religious practice request that she has. Um, So she says uh, she wants to hold outdoor services twice a week, and to do that, she needs the prison system to give her the proper religious items, uh, which include uh, lighting candles, having a fire, Um, and um, see what else she wants here. There has to be
3: Eye of Newt in there somewhere.
1: Yeah, I'm sure there's, like, potions she needs, and she's hoping the prison system will uh, help her out. So her complaint asked the courts to order the prison officials to provide her with a list of religious necessities. This is according to the Charlotte Observer, including the Wicca holy text known as the Book of Shadows, a wand, tarot cards, runes, candles, a bell, and a black robe, among other items. And for her diet, she says... Uh, The Wiccan Festival requires a distinct menu uh, depending on the holiday. The one on April 30th, which is next week actually, focuses on dairy. So she recommends that they give her vanilla ice cream and oatmeal cakes as the proper fare. Uh, And she also has apparently an event where she plans to jump over a fire that she'll be drying some herbs on and needs supplies for that as well. So for that uh, unique request of the prison system, uh, apparently we can add that to the list of... uh, Potential concerns about North Carolina's prison system is uh, inadequate witchcraft supplies. Uh, Jennifer Jasmine is my pick this week. Okay. Jennifer Jasmine,
0: uh, who said that the uh, prison system told her that if she wanted vegan meals, she would need to become a Rastafarian yeah, or, or a, a Buddhist.
1: Buddhist. Yeah. And she yeah. was like, no, that's, that's not my religion. I'm a Wiccan. And you need to also supply me with dairy and oatmeal cakes.
0: Okay. Uh, Jennifer Jasmine in the hat for headliner of the week, Lauren Horsch. Who's your headliner?
2: So my headliner is actually the Senate District 1 Republican primary. So this has been something I think a lot of us who are in the General Assembly or are walks in the General Assembly have been watching for quite some time because uh, current the current senator who represents that district, Bill Cook, announced he was retiring. Um, and really soon after he announced he was retiring, Bob Steinberg, who is a – house member announced that he was going to run for that seat um but also clark twitty who was previously floating an idea to run for lieutenant governor decided that he was going to run for the senate seat instead so this has become a very tooth and nail kind of caddy well, I'm, I'm going to say it's been a caddy like primary it's always like back and forth Steinberg has his allegations against Twitty because Twitty once gave to Governor Cooper's campaign, and then Twitty has an excuse for that and explains it away. So it's been a very interesting primary. And on top of that, Representative Steinberg has these videos that are called Straight Talk with Bob on his Facebook, and they're gold. They are Great, and they're very interesting. He talks a lot about you know, his platform what he wants to run on. He's been very vocal about uh, prison reforms because he does represent uh, Pasquotank, or he's near Pasquotank. Um, he gave us a fun video recently. I think it was April 15th, um, and we just haven't been able to talk about it yet. But in the video, he's talking about his opponent, Clark Twitty, being a fickle pickle. And in the video, someone off camera throws him a cucumber. It could have been actually a pickle, but it looked like a cucumber. Anyway, so then he goes through the reasons why Clark Twitty is a fickle pickle, and it's just, it's gold, it's great, and it's why I love politics for all sorts of weird videos like this. Um, And I'm just very thankful that my boyfriend was nice enough to make Colin and I a gif of Clark Twitty being, not Clark Twitty, Bob Steinberg being thrown a, you know, cucumber. Um, but Senate District One raised just is the gift that keeps on giving this election season.
0: Yeah, you had the uh, current occupant of the seat, Bill Cook, um, saying Steinberg was um, weird. Basically, I guess was erratic. basically erratic. Um, yeah, and
2: yeah, yeah so yeah. Cook did endorse uh, Clark Twitty this week for that seat, and we knew that was going to happen. That is like the least you know surprising news of the week. Because um, Bill Cook was essentially saying, you know, Clark Twitty, he's the guy for it. And he had been, you know, holding fundraisers for Twitty as well. So it's just God, it's such a great primary. Why fickle pickle? Because Twitty was in a pickle and he's being fickle. I don't know. Yeah, I think
1: it was uh, it related to... Um, He was accusing uh, Twitty of flip flopping because he had in the past supported Democratic candidates, uh, including making a contribution to uh, Roy Cooper's campaign. Uh, So he's saying that uh, he's fickle and that has put him in a pickle, therefore, fickle pickle. Hashtag. (laughs) (laughs) All right. all right.
0: Well, District 1, where uh, candidates are trading accusations uh, and the phrase fickle pickle is trending, uh, in the hat for headliner of the week. Uh, all right. Andy, who's your headliner of the week? We're going back to Charlotte,
3: where City Councilwoman Loana Mayfield said on Facebook that she is still waiting for people to produce, I think she said, pieces of the airplanes that struck the Twin Towers on 9-11. We decided to fact-check that. uh, And I have to give props uh, to Councilwoman Mayfield. Often with PolitiFact and with fact-checking, we call people and ask them to defend their claims, and they don't answer, and they, you know, uh, or they just, you know, tell us to go somewhere, if you don't get what I'm saying. Anyway, uh, Ms. Mayfield tried a different tactic. She said uh, that, quote, the three-day news cycle had passed and asked why I was calling her. And of course, I asked, I said that I wanted to get to the bottom of what she
0: believed. Yeah, we um, didn't realize that there was a statute of limitations on, uh, on news stories where we couldn't call somebody and ask them questions after three days. But
3: right. And she posted last week and I called her, I guess it was Wednesday or Tuesday of this week. Uh, And that was a, I'd never heard that response before. Uh, But she didn't answer my question about what she believes happened. And she said that she was going into a meeting and needed to focus on the affordable housing crisis. Uh, So that left us to do the digging for ourselves. And we found, lo and behold, that uh, people have produced uh evidence and fragments and pieces of these airplanes that i I don't think this was your most difficult fact check it was not it was not uh and so we gave uh councilwoman mayfield a pants on fire um and friend of the program brian anderson will accuse me of self-promotion uh since this was my own story but uh I will say you'd be surprised how many people will click on a story about nine eleven. I thought you know we Jordan you and I spoke you know will people read this? People you know seem to all have have come to the conclusion that you know uh, about the narrative of what happened. Um, and lo and behold, it's been one of our top read stories this week because they want they people want to know why uh, Councilwoman Mayfield believes what she believes, and um, we still haven't gotten to the bottom of that. But we know. Uh, that what she said is
0: uh, very false. So she got her pants on fire. Okay. All right. Uh, so we have Luana Mayfield, uh, who has uh, some incorrect views or at least some incorrect statements about uh, what happened on 9-11. Um, we have the primary, uh, Republican primary in District 1, uh, and we have the inmate Jennifer Jasmine, uh, all in the hat for headliner of the week. Uh the shot goes to Lauren. Um, District Cut. one uh, is uh, is shaping up as a pretty interesting race, and I just think the phrase uh, "pickle pickle" is deserving. I feel like um, you get so yeah, pickle You need a pickle, shot? a pickle to yeah, go with that shot. Back. Yeah. 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 All right. So, pickle 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 oh,
1: pickle, pickle 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 pickle. All right. Ah, <laughs> <to> cheese. <laughs> Yeah, this is what Lauren gets for having that uh, shot chaser tweet where she was criticizing political communications for using this shot chaser format to criticize people for inconsistent statements.
2: This is for you, Robert Howard.
1: And uh, everybody, everybody should know that Lauren is, uh, is all done
0: with work after this podcast. Uh, I,
2: and I have a DD.
0: <laughs> so so uh, in case anyone's concerned um, about our uh, taking shots uh, on this very professional podcast um all right well that's it for uh domecast i hope you guys join us next week Uh, we'll be coming to you from our new location uh, on fayetteville street i hope everybody has a good weekend